0: Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991; to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance.
1: Good morning, everyone. Michael McKean, Tom Keane, Mr. McKean, Barry oh, Ritholtz pulled a short straw. And it's with us today, Economic Indicators, brought to you by Commonwealth Financial Network. When it's time to change the conversation, talk with a broker-dealer, RIA, that's ready to listen. Call 866-462-3638 or visit Commonwealth.com to learn more. We had ADP at 815, 15 minutes ago, um, a little bit above, but with a revision south. I'm going to call it a churning ADP, did not move markets. In any way, 200,000, but, you know, the revision off a little bit. Uh, We we, we move to Friday in that early April 1 jobs report. Thrilled to tell you that Jim Glassman and Bill Gross will join us, among other worthies, as we look at the American labor economy. Right now we speak with Lindsay uh, Pigs on uh, the bombshell yesterday from Chair Yellen. She is with Stiefel. uh, Nicholas, Uh, Lindsay, you're perfect to speak to about, good data, bad data, good data, bad data, good data, you know, the the derby of market economics. Which way is the Fed tilting? Is it a series of bad data points?
2: Well, if you listen to Chair Yellen's comments yesterday, you certainly think they're erring on the side of focus on that very sluggish data, particularly from the consumer side. Her comments were incredibly dovish, reinforcing the idea that the Fed needs to exercise caution which really speaks to the idea of lower for longer and really undermines the uh, the ability for the Fed to even meet that new lowered bar of expected rate hikes over the next nine months. Remember, in March, they lowered that from four down to two. But now it's a question of whether or not they can raise at all this year.
3: So we're looking at jobs data, the, the preview we get from ADP looking at the private sector at 200,000, a little above consensus. Last month, lowered 9,000 to about 207,000. These are fairly robust job numbers we see month after month after month, and inflation ticking up to about 1.7%. The, the question to ask is, what is the Fed waiting for?
2: Well, I think the employment numbers have been fairly consistent. I would argue, again, fairly robust. 200,000 is hardly an impressive employment report. I think we've only started calling 200,000 robust because the bar of expectations has been lowered so precipitously. But you're right. We have seen stability in the labor market. And as of late, inflation does appear to be on the rise. But we need to see consistent upward momentum in prices. And we've seen that stall in the latest uh, monthly report. So I think a lot of committee members are still erring on the side of caution saying, yeah, we saw one to two months of rising price pressures, but that may prove temporary. We need to see more tangible evidence that inflation is a concern as opposed to downside risk to inflation as the global economy seems to remain under significant pressure.
3: So it's all about the wages.
2: It is all about the wages. And here, too, we seem to be losing a lot of talking points for the Hawks. At the start of the year, we had back-to-back months of above-trend wage growth. Remember, we were up to 2.8. We slowed to 2.5, but still uh, back-to-back months of pretty impressive wage gains. Now, as we look out to Friday, the expectation is another month of slowdown. To about 2.2 percent so really splitting hairs yeah. when you talk about returning back to the two percent
1: trend the money question for me and i'm not asking for wisdom Lindsay, but maybe you can give me a guesstimate is if we suddenly look at a challenge first quarter without cold weather and other distractions we've got trade to worry about do you extrapolate that slowdown out to second third and fourth quarter
2: I don't think we need to extrapolate it out for the entire year. We're still looking for about trend, 2 percent growth on an annual basis. But certainly what it does is it reinforces the idea that the U.S. economy is still on very fragile footing. As you pointed out, first quarter GDP right now is estimated to come in right around a half a percentage point, And there's none of the usual suspects to blame. It wasn't early Easter. It wasn't cold weather. It wasn't uh, some sort of change in tax policy. There really wasn't any catalyst aside from weakening fundamentals that have uh, really undermined that headline activity uh-huh. growth in the first three months.
1: Lindsay, the nice update. Thank you so much. Lindsay uh, Piegsa uh, with Stiefel Nicholas uh, after the bombshell yesterday. You really see it in the two-year yield coming in over the last five, six sessions, 0.7922. Barry Ritholtz, there is a birthday today. He is he's 39 years old. He is one of the great voices of an institution that's really been knocked around. And that would be the New York Stock Exchange. Mr. Polkari is there every day in the trenches. He's one of those people you see, folks, where you go, I remember when it was really, really busy and there were specialists in the romance that Barry got you and me into this business. Mm-hmm. Kenny Polcari's birthday today. We send uh, birthday greetings. But Barry, wh- wh- who does Kenny work for anymore? I mean, he's a, he's iconic with the New York Stock Exchange. It's still there, but for you as a market pro, is Ken's world still there?
3: You know, I remember the first time I got. The tour of the New York Stock Exchange, excited, bought the NYSE T-shirt, which I still have. Uh, You go down to the exchange, all of those outer rooms have been closed. They're hurting the few remaining Mm -hmm. humanoids walking around to one small room. It's tumbleweeds and television sets, and that's pretty much it. The floor of the exchange is not where... The action is actually yeah. happening. It's across the across the river at a bunch of server farms located right yeah, I mean, outside of the tunnel.
1: Yeah, Kenny Pocari, his birthday today, and we say uh, greetings to him and all down at the New York Stock Exchange as they deal with a new world of trading and the challenges of, of the volume set and the other debates that are out there. He's 39, right?
3: I don't know. I'll, I'll take your word for it. I,
1: I think you should take my word for it. Out of Boston, again. University. 39 again. Kenny, once more. And holding, Kenny Pulkari. Uh, futures up 9. Dow futures up 90. 10 year yield, 1.84%. And again, that two year stunning, 0.79%. Oil, 38.94 a barrel. And it is uh, Bloomberg surveillance. Uh, this is our. Of Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Mazda White Plains. Visit MazdaWhitePlanes.com with our news from New York. Here's Michael Barr.
4: Tom Barry, thank you very much. U.S. officials say the Army will announce today it will beef up military presence in Eastern Europe. The Pentagon will deploy an armored brigade combat team to Eastern Europe next February. To reassure allies worried about threats from Russia. The deployment will also send in more modern equipment. Donald Trump says he stands behind his campaign manager, who was charged with simple battery in Florida for allegedly roughing up a reporter who tried to ask a question. A new survey by the Alzheimer's Association shows many people are not prepared for the high cost of home care or nursing for a relative with dementia. Many relatives and friends providing financial support or care have dipped into their retirement savings, cut back on spending, and sold assets to pay for expenses tied to the disease. Mark Dunham took care of his wife for five years before she died at age 54. The emotional part of watching her, you know, decline from a... You know, a vivacious, you know, 40-year-old woman that had worked her whole career in uh, for Nordstrom as a merchandiser and a buyer to, you know, not being able to dress herself anymore or understanding that a shower was important. The average cost of a semi-private room in a nursing home is more than $80,000 per year. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Tom, Barry.
1: Michael Barr, thank you uh, so much. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Report. Here's John Stashauer.
0: And Tom, sigh of relief for Mets fans. The great Matt Harvey scare is over. He explained what happened. I guess it started with a bladder infection that created a uh, a blood clot in the bladder and passed it yesterday. It wasn't a great first day of my 27th birthday, but um, we cleared that, and then we had a little procedure done this morning just to go in and check the bladder, and everything was clear. So he's going to pitch two innings today in the Mets' final game in Florida, and then as scheduled, we'll start the opener Sunday night in Kansas City. Mets will be in Las Vegas tomorrow and Friday playing the Cubs have not had a good spring. they failed to win any of their last 12 games. The Barclays Center Islanders shut out until Andrews' goal third period. They went through a shootout, and thanks to a Kyle Akpaso goal and the play of goalie Thomas Grice, top Carolina 2-1. Isles have a four-point lead for a wild-card playoff spot. Devils also won 2-1 over Boston. Not much defense by the Nets. Orlando shot 62%. The Magic won 139-105. NIT semis at the Garden. Valparaiso's 30th win, 72-70 over BYU. Valpo and George Washington in the championship game tomorrow. GW past San Diego State 65-46. And Columbia won a CIT final, 73-67 over Cal Irvine. Lions got to play all four games at home. They're the first Ivy League team to win a postseason tournament since Princeton won the NIT in 1975. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashell.
1: John, thanks so much. We look at equities, bonds, currencies, commodities, futures up 10, up a little more earlier, but still really elevated off the bang-up performance yesterday. The VIX closing 13.82. Wow, you really wonder, can we get to a 12-handle of the VIX uh, today? I guess that's within um, reach. Ten-year yield, 1.86%. Again, the two-year, 0.79%, an abrupt move in the two-year um, as um, – Chair Yellen cries dovish yesterday at the Economic Club of New York. Uh, Barry Ritholtz and Tom Keane coming up. uh, Barry Ritholtz on investment. Bloomberg Surveillance.
4: Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Anshin Block and Accent, named the best accounting firm in North America for the sixth year in a row by HedgeWeek.com.
0: Global Business News, 24 hours a day, at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
5: And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at NRIA.net. Companies took on 200,000 workers in March. The increase in employment followed a revised 205,000 gain the prior month, and that was according to figures from the ADP Research Institute. U.S. stock index futures, meanwhile, are higher amid optimism interest rates will rise at a slower pace. Oil is rising for the first time in five days in New York. And we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 11 and a half points. Dow E-mini futures up 103, and Nasdaq E-mini futures up 30. The DAX in Germany is up 1 point. 6%. Ten-year Treasury down 832 seconds to yield 1.83 percent. Yield on the two-year, 0.79 percent. NYMEX crude oil up 2.3 percent or 89 cents to 39.16 a barrel. And COMEX Gold is down 2 tenths percent or $2.70 to 12.3480 an ounce. The euro, $1.1313. The yen's won 12.61. Yoga wear retailer, Lululemon Athletica up 5.5% in early trading after reporting fourth-quarter profit that beat analyst estimates after improvements to the company's supply chain cut costs. And State Street agreed to buy General Electric's asset management unit for as much as $485 million in cash to expand alternative investments such as private equity and real estate. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Barry.
1: Karen, uh, thanks so much. It is 848 on Wall Street.
0: The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists.
6: I'm Paula Dwyer, an editor with Bloomberg View. It's conventional wisdom that Bernie Sanders has pushed Hillary Clinton so far to the left during the primaries on taxes, trade, minimum wages, and Wall Street regulation that she will need to pivot hard back to the center if she hopes to win in November. Look past the stump speeches and debates, though, and you'll see that Clinton's rhetoric has changed while her policy positions haven't. One example is the minimum wage. When Sanders called for a nationwide $15 minimum, she backed a higher wage, too. But hers was for $12, citing economists who say a $15 floor could lead to job losses in some areas. She also allowed that a higher minimum wage might work in more expensive cities and states and said they are free to enact one if they choose. Unlike Sanders, Clinton doesn't call for breaking up big banks, a position that might demand modification in a general election. Instead, she proposes to close loopholes in the 2010 Dodd-Frank law. And despite criticism of her well-paid speeches to Goldman Sachs, she has never vowed to refuse Wall Street's money. Call it expediency or call it smart politics. Surprisingly little of Clinton's primary strategy will require her to do an embarrassing about-face in the fall. I'm Paula Dwyer, an editor with Bloomberg View. For more commentary and opinion, please go to BloombergView.com.
0: This has been Bloomberg View.
1: And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard hourly weekdays. On Bloomberg Radio, we thank all of our supporters that keep us going here. Of course, Invesco made a huge commitment. I spent time uh, yesterday with their team. And, Barry, I was absolutely thrilled to meet Megan Walsh. She is a world-famous Within dividend analysis, she's got that rare distinction, which she actually was a trader Mm -hmm. before she did the CFA portfolio management track. And to get everybody's attention, is it okay year-to-date to to be in the 95th percentile or one-year 96th percentile or three-year 93rd percentile or five-year 94th percentile? That gets everybody's attention.
3: Not too shabby.
1: That's not too shabby. So, Barry, I'm not going to give you the name of the company. It's a company we all know. We all use their products. It pays a dividend of 2.92%. It's got a five-year dividend growth rate of 10.12%, but the P.E. is 22. Is Megan Walsh's world priced to
3: perfection? If you're talking about dividends, there's a huge spread in companies. Some are modestly priced. Some are fairly priced, and some are a little pricey, and... History has told us that when you buy expensive stocks, especially dividend stocks, when you overpay for them, that doesn't work out especially well and over the long haul.
1: When you say work out, and this is so important, folks, the distinction between getting killed, mm-hmm. which we obviously don't want to do, but the other distinction is you buy them fully priced and then you go
3: nowhere. Yeah, yeah. You when you let let's let me randomly pick a, a company out there. Um, like McDonald's, right? And and we haven't talked about this. I'm just randomly yeah. pu- punched punched it in. You have a 111 billion dollar market cap and an, a forward PE of about 25 and not exactly yeah. a fast growth rate. Growth rate of 8.5 uh, percent. Off of lower levels too. It's hard to see how. Uh, that's a company that, that can continue yeah. to grow at those those levels. By the way, think back a few years ago, and it was just two or three years ago when Chipotle was on the rise, McDonald's was out of favor, the stock was at multi-year lows, and it was cha- trading at a very, very cheap multiple. So what multiple. do you do? If,
1: you, if, you, if we're not as smart as Megan Walsh of Invesco, I get that. What's the strategy for someone who wants to play in the Ritholtz, Megan Walsh world, knows they're not going to be Megan Walsh, but at least they don't want to get hammered?
3: You, you don't have to be smart. You can outsource your thinking to Warren Buffett. You I don't want to do that. Outsour- I, want to buy, I want to be Peter Lynch. Uh, so if you want to be Peter Lynch or, or better yet, Benjamin Graham, that's what I mean by outsource. your thinking they've made it clear, they've proven that when you buy inexpensive companies for the long haul, you're going to do much better than when you buy expensive companies. And by the way, very often we're talking about the same exact name. McDonald's two years ago, McDonald's two years forward, very, very different risk-reward print. Look at Microsoft, another great example. The
1: next idea, if I'm smart enough to buy McDonald's when it was a total disaster and now it's 25 times forward or whatever the ratio was you gave – do I hold it and then wait for the buy again, or are you going to do a transaction and find the next smartest, cheap
3: thing? It depends on where you're sitting. If you're it, sitting and also it,
1: depends on your tax.
3: Right. If you're, that's what I mean. It depends on where you're sitting. Are you holding this in a, in a qualified account? Are you holding this in an individual account? Yeah. Are you trading for P&L on a desk somewhere, or or are you a long-term investor who made a good buy two years ago and are probably better off just letting it mm-hmm. run for the long haul. It, it's always hard on the radio or on television to say, here's what you should do. I don't know who you are. I don't know what your tax bracket is. I don't know how much money you've saved for retirement. I don't know what your risk parameters are. So just saying buy McDonald's, sell McDonald's doesn't give people a lot of insight. Yeah. If you're in it cheaper and and you're doing well with it, there's no reason to cut and run On the other hand, it's a tough stock to buy up at this price.
1: But one alternative, and it doesn't work so much within the oligopoly known as the food industry, but one idea is if you have a big name and you know it's too visible, loved, etc., shift to a mid-cap equivalency.
3: Um right now so we spoke with Tom Dorsey last week that'll be that'll be on Masters in uh, Business this weekend did,
1: why you did you see that shameless shameless plug, plug
3: there? right That's there sick. one of the things that tom has been discussing is the big caps have been dominating for six or seven years and at only over the past uh, quarter or two have we seen that shift from dominance of large cap Towards small cap, so again if you 're a nimble trader and you want to look at yeah. better better uh, rivers to fish in small mid cap might be a place mm-hmm. to look at, but if you 're a long term investor and you own these things inexpensively right. there 's no reason to guess that this is the top for no. mcdonald 's and and then try and see what you can find.
1: I'm, I'm guessing you're too young to remember when people sat around with a blue book, which was the s bond book, the bond guide, came every month, and your your grandfather would drop <laughs> cigarette ashes on it as he looked Cigar, cigar. A, or a cigar. What, I remember what are, the
3: value line books that used to come well, out. Well, value line, you trip also? over. I, yeah. I have
1: a bad right ankle from tripping over a value uh, line. This thick, line and you would once. get yeah. one
3: every – and there were the inserts would come every month. It was yeah. like a loose-leaf binder,
1: Is there pre-Bloomberg any, how days. How do you create – income now in bonds do you have to go to preferreds you convertibles
3: so it's a philosophical shift number one you have to get out of the mindset you know my father-in-law who's no longer here bought the new york city geo bonds that were yielding 12 and 14 percent and when they came up when the bonds were finally called and the 10-year was yielding five and a half percent he was very angry people would be thrilled with the 5.5%. You have to recognize that it's no longer days gone by, that we've had a 30-year bond bull market the 10-year yeah. is at 2%. <clears throat> if you want munis, that gives you some opportunities. It depends on what right. state you live in, but it's not a high-yield environment.
1: For 30 seconds, and Bill Gross to join us Friday here on Jobs Day. We're thrilled about that. Do you like the concept of unconstrained? Do you want to know what your portfolio is going to buy, or do you want to give the privilege to someone as wise as Mr.
3: Uh, Gross? I'm an asset allocator, so I don't like the idea of an unconstrained bonds. I want... This guy running my my mortgage-backed securities, and I want that guy running my corporates, and I want this guy running my high yields, and I want to make that asset allocation decision as opposed to a sort of nebulous thing. Although, yeah. listen, I can't argue with Bill Gross's long-term track record. It's been—he's run into a few troubles over the past few years, but his long-term 40-year track record is phenomenal. Yeah, he's,
1: and on a relative basis, he's had a spirited year versus some of his uh, good competitors, like yes. Janus uh, Capital as well. This is wonderful. Barry Ritholtz with us as we do a little more investment because and I are economics, 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 all the time. Futures up 11. Dow futures up 104. Uh, and again, the two-year yield, Oh, it's now flat, 0.78%. Uh, let's have a song for Chair Yellen as we go to another hour of surveillance.